Well, hey everybody and welcome to our special welcome back message. Now, here's what's going on. This very Sunday, August 1st, 10 a.m., we are regathering for regular worship services at Montevai. Now, here's how Momentum Online is gonna work going forward. Whatever is being preached in the gym is gonna be here online. So don't worry, if, if you can't make it to the gym and you're watching online right now, this is what is being spoken, preached, and taught at the gym. We're doing this on purpose, especially uh, for some of you who are working in Kid City, and, and we want you to be able to put this on on the, your drive to church or your drive home. So although you're serving on a given weekend, maybe not able to come into the worship service, you still get the heart of where we're going. And it's especially important right now because for about the next 11 weeks or so, we're just going to be talking vision. We're talking about where God's calling us to go and who He's calling us to be, among other things. And I also, as we are celebrating a regather, got to take a look back and tell you guys how you've strengthened my faith over 16 months. Man, I always make it my goal to share something with you that's going to build you up and strengthen you, but I want to start a little differently today and share the way you guys have strengthened my faith uh, through these last 16 months. So here goes a picture. This was a frightening moment. This is the first time that services were canceled and we had nowhere to go. And so I had grabbed all of our online equipment, all of our speakers, cables, wires, cameras, uh, our backdrop here, which we're still rocking to this day, and loaded it into my garage. I remember doing an announcement video right here in the garage, just talking to the camera about what we were doing and what's going on and how we're figuring it out as we go. And man, you guys, honestly, I remember being scared. I don't know if it shows by the look in my eyes, but I remember being scared in this time. But then I watched you guys as a church do some amazing things. You adapted to online services and some of you have come to love them even now. And on the back end of that, you guys, we came up with creative ways to serve our city and we wanted to do small business buyouts and you guys started showing up at restaurants. This was KD's Donuts and the weekend, uh, the week after they were robbed uh, at gunpoint and the money was taken out of the cash register, we went back there and because of your generosity, we gave them the money that was taken from them. We went to MJ's Fusion Deli. That's another one of my favorites. Uh, this is still the most watched video in Momentum history. It's not a sermon. It's not an announcement. When we went over to MJ's and they started making those 805 burritos on camera, that is our most watched video ever. We still go in there to this day and they say thank you and they ask about how you guys are doing. Um, man, th that showed me, you guys, that we're an innovative church. Um, I remember uh, on the back end of the pandemic, our friends at Vista Square were in deep need and you guys did these care packages right from the jump that offered groceries and toilet paper and canned goods and gift cards and all kinds of things to families and needs when Christmas rolled around and families were struggling with the loss of jobs and uh, loss of income you guys provided Christmas gifts and presents for various families there I'll never forget the time we did the laptops you guys gave 40 some odd laptops to the school as we were going back and then it showed me that we're, we're truly a generous church I remember on the back end of this when we went through the horrible atrocity of the George Floyd murder. We didn't know how to respond or what to do as a church and so we gathered to pray against racism and injustice in our culture and so many of you joined us in that time. I want to say a special thank you in that time to Pam and Keith Gooseby who led us through that time with their wisdom and experience. 
Guys, it showed me that we're a church that's marked by compassion. I remember on the back end of that, we wanted something to rally people, something that people could plant themselves in that would be healthy. And so we brought back Alive by God's Word. And, and I, I remember, you know, although we still weren't gathered, we said, hey, we're spread out. We've got pockets of people who are now watching online. Hey, what would it be like if we invited friends to read the Bible with us? And, and you guys reached out to friends and family members and others and invited them into the experience. We ended up with people from all these different states like Washington, Kansas, Indiana, Kentucky, Idaho, Virginia, Minnesota, Michigan, North Carolina, South Carolina, Illinois, Oregon, West Virginia, Missouri, from countries like Guatemala, Haiti, Kenya, and India. Some of these people from these places met Jesus for the first time and got saved through this, guys. And it strengthened my, my faith. It showed me that we're truly an influential church. Uh, I remember Christmas in a box and we had that service online and you guys drove by my house and picked up the boxes that had the Christmas supplies in them that coincided with hey, kids activities and different things we preached online and it strengthened my faith because you guys really show that you're a church that will go out of your way to celebrate Jesus. Um, then we could finally guys regather in parks. And we had our church in the park services. And you guys endured uh, some of the coldest worship services we've ever had at Momentum and some of the hottest worship services we've ever had. Or we had worship team members going home with sunburns. But there was something special in that day. And it strengthened my faith because it showed me that we are a resilient church. You guys, the fact that we are still here when so many other churches aren't, and it shows me that we're an unstoppable church. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And the fact that we're still here means we have showed up as an answer to Jesus' promise. I just want you guys to know that truly means something for me. But we've often looked back and we're all aware, well aware of what we've been through. I want to look forward and talk to you about where we're going next. What time is it? in the life of this church. And to do so, I want to pull you into a scripture that I believe God is in and that God has for us in this time. It's a Jesus story. It comes from John chapter 5. I'll read it first and then we'll expound upon what it means for us. It says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate Pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades, here was a great number of disabled people who used to lie. They were blind, they were lame, and they were paralyzed. One who was, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him... Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, somebody else goes down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, here's the words, get on this. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat, and he walked. Now, we don't know what happened to this man. Could have been when he was five years old. Could have been the only child of two sweet parents who loved him with everything they had. It could have been a fever that set in on this young man in a time when germs and disease and sickness were so terrifying and unknown. Could have been that the boy laid there sweating in his mother's arms in the middle of the night with a fever that wouldn't break. 
Could have been that she held them there that evening thinking that that might be his last night alive. Could have been that she wakes up in the morning to find that her son is still breathing. Could have been that she's holding him realizing the fever is gone, but so is his ability to use his legs. Could have happened to him when he was 22 years old. It could have been a young newlywed excited about the world that was in front of him. He could have had a beautiful young bride that he was excited to love and to provide for. Could have had a little farm that his dad gave him as he carved off some of the family's property for this young man to start his life. Could have been that the young woman loved to bring a picnic lunch out to her new husband while they were working together. Could have been that she brought the picnic lunch out to where he was supposed to be and didn't find him there. Could have been that they were walking and she finds him laying there paralyzed as he's fallen off of his horse midday. Could have been that this whole dream of this new life that they would live was taken from them. It could have been this way for since his birth. It says 38 years, so this might be all he knows. Here's the deal. We don't know what happened to him, but we know the effect that what happened happened to him has had on him. In other words, we don't know what happened, but we know that this affliction has taken a toll. This man's situation has ground down his identity to that of a victim. He now processes who he is, who God is, and how his life will always be through the lens of what happens to him, and he's now stuck. We know this because of the question that Jesus asked this man, and this man's response as well. Listen to this interesting exchange that happens between Jesus and this man. Keep in mind that he's been laying there for 38 years. It says, Jesus saw him laying there and learned he had been in this condition for a long time. And he asked him, do you want to get well? That's a peculiar question. We'll talk about it in a minute. And then this man's excuses come rolling in. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me in the pool when it's stirred. Well, I'm trying to get in. Somebody just goes ahead of me. I've got all of these problems. I've, I've been set back by my affliction. There's people here that I want to point the finger at and blame. See, we see that not only is this man paralyzed, but what has happened to him has defined him. And he's lost the inner strength he needs to move forward in this moment. Uh, what's going on here, by the way, with the spring is archaeologists have come to find out that this is an intermittent spring. It's a geological phenomenon where every now and then this pool would bubble up and it would fill because of what was happening underneath. Now, what the urban legend in this time states that they thought an angel was doing this and the first person, you know, the first person into the pool gets healed and, and then the other people just have to wait until the next time. And so that's what's going on here. It's kind of besides the point because what we can see here is this man's condition, what has happened to him has defined him. This man's situation has left him bitter with plenty of people to point the finger at and blame. He's so consumed by his misfortune, he's eye to eye with the Lord, and yet he can't see him at all. He's allowed what's happened to him to define him. My question is, on the back end of COVID, with distance learning and problem solving and changing plans and missing vacations and not being able to find a date as easily with having to wear a mask, not having a church. Is there some of this man in you? 
Do you feel a bitterness and a frustration that you have are justified because you have people you can blame? Has your passion for who God is, what He means to you, and what He can do in your life been slowly replaced with apathy? Has isolation become your new normal because you just don't like the inconvenience of people? Are you living into God's bright future? Are you defined by what you've been through? Do you find yourself stuck? All of a sudden, Jesus' question to this man makes a little more sense to me. And I'll tell you the truth, I've done ministry for about 15, 16 years now. And I started out so perplexed when Jesus would ask this man, do you want to get well? But as time goes on, I find more and more people who really don't. I find more and more people who kind of find a new pattern. Some misfortune happens. Something unexpected happens. This setback happens. The setback kind of grows so big in their life, it kind of sets the course for their life. And the setback and the slavery that ensues, the victim mentality, becomes their new home. It becomes their comfort zone. And there are truly people who don't want to get well. My question is to you, do you really want to get well? Do you want to get, do you want to move forward? Do you want your old faith back? Do you want COVID or do you want to put COVID and everything you feel like you've lost behind you? Do you want to leave your isolation? Do you want to stop drinking so much? Do you want to get off the pills? Do you really want emotional health? Do you really want a life that's connected to other people's? Do you really want to engage in being the church that God had in mind? Do you want to get well? Because here's the deal. We can't really go anywhere until we've answered that question. But should you want to get well, Jesus shows us the way forward. I want you to pay attention uh, to the theology that exists within Jesus' tone with this man. In John verse seven, 5, verse 7, it says, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me in the water when it's stirred. While I'm trying to get in, somebody else just goes down ahead of me, and Jesus just cuts him off and says, Get up! Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. Now, I contrast this. This is Tough Love 101 because go to another passage. Some of you know the story of the woman who had the issue of bleeding for 12 years. For 12 years she had a a feminine medical issue that kept her bleeding. It didn't just keep her bleeding. It kept her isolated. It kept her cut out of the, the spiritual and religious picture in her day. It made her unclean. It made her feel less than. It made her feel like she wasn't worthy. She sees Jesus. She's heard about this God-man who can actually heal people with just a touch. She doesn't want anyone to know the issue. There's a crowd around him. She slowly sees him as her one and only chance to a better life. She sneaks in behind him, doesn't even want to stop the crowd because, gosh, no, she doesn't even want to be discovered. She slides in. Her plan is to just grab the side of Jesus's robe, believing it's enough. To her dismay, she grabs the robe. Jesus feels that power has gone all out of him. He stops everything and he says, who touched me? Her gig is up. She's exposed. She's looking up at Jesus. He looks her in the eye and he says the word, daughter. So kind, so gentle, and exactly what she needed to hear. 
This man, however, needed to hear something different. This man, however, needed to hear the words, get up, take up your mat, and go. Now, here's what I want you to know. These miracles in the gospel, specifically in John, aren't called miracles. When you read the Bible, the Bible does not call them miracles. It calls them signs. Signs point to something. And all of these signs that Jesus does in the physical and material world point to what he is capable of doing in our spiritual and emotional world. So when you have Jesus taking this man and saying, get up, take up your mat and walk, what he's defining for us is in Jesus, what has happened to you does not have to define you. In Jesus, what has been in your life is not what has to be. In Jesus, you can get up, pick up your mat and walk. You don't have to be stuck anymore. It doesn't matter how bad it was, how unfair it was, and how misunderstood you actually were. It doesn't matter how long it lasted, how annoying it became, and how much it cost you. In Jesus, you can get up, pick up your mat, and walk into a new day that is marked by healing. Momentum. I believe that's God's word for us in this time. It is time for us to get up and walk into God's new future. What are we walking into? I'll give you a few things. Let's get clear. Let's get specific. It's time to walk into health. And I mean, it is time to get spiritually and emotionally healthy. It is time to raise the standard for our spiritual and emotional health. It is time to not settle anymore for life by the pool. It's time to not settle anymore for what has been or where we've kind of backslid to. If your faith has been on a shelf, this is the day to take it off the shelf and reawaken. I'll explain it like this. You guys know this. Come on. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says it's simply this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now, can I tell you something? You get the word all three times in a row in this passage. Jesus is not simply saying, hey guys, let's come back to church. Jesus isn't saying, now that you got your worship services back, you have fulfilled everything I desire for you. The picture he paints is a life that is thrown into God's grace, surrendered to him in active faith. I'll tell you, one thing that got my family and I through the pandemic was the swimming pools. Being able to go to the pool gave us a place. Lord knows you need a place to wear out three kids in the middle of this thing. But you guys know just as well as I do, there's a difference between the way adults and kids get into a swimming pool. I watched it over and over again. So many adults, and you can kind of define there's two types of people in this world. There are people who go up to the pool they dip a toe. E, I don't know about that. Then they go ankle. Okay, I'm going to sit on the stair for a minute. And there's people who look at that pool, back up a few steps, go running off the edge, and dive right in. You know what Jesus is doing here? He's calling you to a dive right in kind of faith. They say, hey, listen, we, we, we've lost some ground. 
We've lost some time. This isn't the time to dip a toe. This is the time to fully re-engage. Uh, at, at our worship services in the gym, we're challenging people who haven't yet to get baptized. You want a real way to take the plunge, to go all in with Jesus. I want to challenge you to get baptized. we got baptisms happening August 1st. Uh, there's going to be more happening August 8th. So if you're interested, QR code right now and we will get you all hooked up. Speaking of the QR code, I'll tell you the other thing. Notice here Jesus says, with all your mind. And in the back end of the pandemic, as your pastor, I want to challenge you to get the emotional help you need to move forward. I want to challenge, let me be specific. If you are emotionally worn out and compromised right now, be that from the pandemic or things that were already there that this time has brought out of you, I want to challenge you to go and get the help you need. Here's, here's what happens. Your emotional help, health will act like a governor on your spiritual growth. So there, there are certain depths that you cannot dive to spiritually until you've addressed emotional health issues that will hold you back. They work together. That's why we're a church that believes in counseling. Again, right now, there's going to be a QR code on the screen. Here's, here's my challenge to you. Here's your next step. Uh, this QR code, uh, if you click on it, open it up, will take you to a link that says Finding Help. That's a free ebook we've produced that tells you all about getting counseling, how to find a counselor, what to expect when you go to counseling, everything about the experience so it's not as scary or as frightening when you actually take that step. If you are thinking this might be you, that's how you know it's for you. It is time to walk in health. Two, it's time to walk in urgency. And what I mean specifically, uh, and who I'm speaking to specifically, is those of you who are raising kids and students in this time. There's a passage we lean on in the Psalms that it means something to student ministry for us. It says, the righteous flourish like a palm tree. They, <clears throat> they will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. Hold on to this. Planted into the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They say, okay, how do kids flourish? How, how could they be like a tree that's planted, that's fully alive with a rich root system? He says they need to be planted in the house of the Lord and spend time in his courts. I'm here to tell you, keeping your kids connected to church matters. For students, getting them into discipling relationships matter. Getting them in small groups matters. Having them surrounded by other kids who are reaching towards Jesus matters. Having the Bible spoken to them in words they can understand matters. If you have children, young children, shaping them from the ground up matters. Forming them with God's word matters. Getting them into small groups matters. And that happens in our kids' environments. Do I want it to happen in your home? Absolutely. Is this a time that you need to relentlessly connect your kids to the local church? Absolutely. Why? Because it is those early formational moments that will shape in them the character and love of God that they need to have a lifetime full of faith. Uh, in his book, The Abolition of Man, C.S. Lewis talks about the power of training people in godliness. And he says this, it still remains true that no justif justification of virtue will enable a man to be virtuous. Without the aid of trained emotions, the intellect is powerless against the animal organism. 
I had sooner played cards against a man who, who was quite skeptical about ethics, but bred to believe that a gentleman does not cheat, than against an irreproachable moral philosopher who had been brought up among sharpers. That's like cheaters. In battle, it is not syllogisms that, that will keep the reluctant nerves and muscles to their post in the third hour of the bombardment. Basically, what he's saying is no amount of thinking your way into your faith is really going to grow you a great faith. What helps is training, and the time for training is now. Uh, we often keep a jar of marbles around. Um, we keep a jar of marbles. I think it's about 100 or 966 marbles at Momentum uh, that represent how many weeks you have when you have a newborn um, before they're 18 and leaving the house. And if you were to picture that jar of marbles with me, maybe your kid's five and you have even less marbles than that. Maybe they're 10. You have a little less than that. But when it comes to time in youth group, in church, together, COVID came in and it took away a big handful of those marbles. And the time for urgency, the time to lean in, the time to make a difference is now. I want to challenge you to take your kid's spiritual growth seriously in the season ahead. And third and finally, uh, it's time to walk in love. What I mean is this. We were able, by God's grace, to do so many great things in the world around us through COVID. But, but I don't think we've nearly scratched the surface of the way God has called us to love our city. I, I heard a story recently about a man named Antonio Bosco. And he lived in El Paso, Texas, along with his wife. His wife was at a Walmart when a mass shooting happens, and she was one of the ones who, who did not make it out of the experience. Um, the community quickly got to know Bosco because this is the little memorial outside the Walmart, and it was a common practice for the man to bring a sleeping bag out there and sleep next to the flowers at the memorial. He was later asked about what was going on in his life and in a tone that could only be described as terror, he said, she was all I had. We had no children, no next of kin, no parents, no siblings, no brothers, no sisters. It was just her and I, and I don't know what I'll do now. He was going to have a service for her. But who would come? Who would be there? And what would happen? Well, uh, some news reporters hear about his story. A couple of kids post on social media in his area. And this man and his suffering become public knowledge in the city of El Paso. And so he opens up and a little ad in the newspaper, which gets passed around about a visitation that's going to be held for his wife having no clue what to expect or who would be there. The town of El Paso rallies around this man, and on the day of the funeral, there were 4,000 people in attendance who came to throw their arms around this man, to love him, and to let him know that he's not alone. And I love this story because it's a picture of what we are supposed to be as the church. This story is a small glimpse of a group of people with different backgrounds and 
different baggage, different places in life and stages, who all came together to make an impact in love. And I'll tell you guys, that is what the church is supposed to be. That is who we are supposed to be. And my dream for us coming back together is that we would in love reach into our city with new beautiful, bright expressions of the love of Jesus and make them visible with our actions. The time is now. The word for each and every one of us is simply this. Get up, take up your mat, and walk. Love you guys. Have a good week. Peace.